This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, April 4th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. When you or I think about helping the poorest people in the world, we typically think about donating to charitable groups that provide relief from the ravages of poverty. But that kind of thinking and those kinds of quote-unquote help for the poor might actually be extending many of the problems that contribute to poverty. Mark Weber is a co-producer of the film Poverty, Inc. We spoke today. The starting point in the film was, I, I think I have to look to our leadership, which is our director of the film, Michael Matheson Miller. It's a very interesting background. He he did a master's in international development in Japan and lived there for five years, um, uh, studied international business in Europe and lived there. And then he actually taught as a philosophy professor in Latin America. And I think in this film, you see the convergence of, of those three, the market economics, uh, development, and also philosophy. And what he describes is, is his experience in Japan was being overwhelmed by this sense in the development community, quote unquote, um, of this social engineering mindset, this, this very top, this top down power structure that really, um, on a more philosophical level, turns the poor into the objects of our charity and sentimentality. And I think that uh, the driving conversation that we kept having when we were uh, in the beginning stages of this piece were... Uh, always stemmed from that starting point of the human person and then rippled out into what are the what does the ecosystem look like that facilitates human flourishing and what we began to realize is that a lot of what is done uh, in in the charity and aid world actually undermines the project of creating that healthy ecosystem it can undermine governance structures it can undermine local economies and it can undermine culture and that's what we wanted to bring attention to and really flip the question on its head, um, the question of how do we address poverty, rather in- instead think how do we create ecosystems that facilitate human flourishing, how do we create wealth, um, and, and wealth not in the strictly material sense of GDP, but in the deeper philosophical sense. In combating uh, poverty, and uh, as you just mentioned, that might, be the, that might not be the right way to think about it, what is the role typically of uh, international aid organizations? Well, the great, the, the, the really interesting thing is, and I, a theme of the film is questioning our core assumptions. Um, and I think we have to question whether or not this term, international development, is even legitimate. Uh, there's no country in the world that's been developed by teams of international development people. It, 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 there's no track record or em, em, empirical tests that can show us that this model works. And the, the most recent Nobel Prize winner in economics, um, Angus Deaton, said he can find no statistical correlation, let alone a causal relationship uh, between aid and development. Now, that doesn't mean that anecdotally or in certain instances we can't save lives. Uh, every life matters, and there, there's lots of cases that we can point to where lives were changed or saved for the better. But we can't uh, confuse life-saving interventions and sustainable development. And so when we think about what is the role, I think um, I, I, I think that the role can be limited to, to life-saving interventions or, or relief, for instance. But even then, we have to find ways to, to engage in that that um, regards and strengthens local capacity as opposed to displacing local local uh, producers. And in a lot of cases, including the, the recent uh, earthquake in Haiti just a few years ago, we see that the, the effort to provide relief actually um, 
extended in many ways, extended the crisis rather than helping to ameliorate it. And that's where we have to be really careful. So with a title like Poverty Inc., as someone who generally believes in uh, free markets and trying to help people secure their own uh, well-being, what groups depend on maintaining or extending the problems of poverty? I think a, I think a great area where we can learn a lot is about this particular um, intersection is, is, is in agriculture. And in agriculture, we see uh, the U.S. government subsidize heavily this industry, so heavily that we create a massive surplus. And that surplus threatens the price stability of our market. We're overproducing, in other words. And if that and if that surplus is re- released on our own market, prices will fall and people will be up in arms. So we have to do something with that surplus. So we put it into ethanol or we put it into, or as much as we can, we trade it with other nations. But then a lot of it ends up going into um, gifts in kind as well uh, to nonprofit organizations who can then, with the stipulation that they can sell that those in-kind donations or com- food commodities, for instance, in foreign markets at a lower, usually at a lower than market price. Now the organization, the NGO, this benefits them in terms of the revenue that they generate from those sales. It also, uh, they see it as part of their mission to be able to provide food and to meet the, this need of hunger, to provide food and sell food at a lower than market price in a place like Haiti, for instance. The problem is, is that what, what's happening is, on a number of levels, in our own domestic economy, we're undermining the marketplace by, um, by, by disallowing or at least distorting the communication between consumers and producers. And by that, I mean the government, when it ends up subsidizing these industries so heavily, inevitably it ends up picking winners and losers in the marketplace. And if you look closely at the way these subsidies fall out, Last I checked, over 80% of the subsidies, uh, ag subsidies, were going to about 10 corporations in America. Now, being pro-competitive markets means that you the, doesn't mean that you're pro those 10 those 10 corporations, right? Those 10 corporations are benefiting from rigging the competitive system rather than from upholding it. And this is one of the dangers where the power consolidations and corporations and the way that it feeds off the super magnet that is Washington, D.C., um, ends up facilitating one another's um, uh, incumbent positions. Now, on the, on the foreign side, when, uh, when the nonprofit receives these, these um, uh, gifts in kind and takes them to a foreign market, well, yes, they can sell price for, uh, they can sell food, rice, for instance, at a lower price than, um, than Haitian prices. But if on the net, in the macro sense, we end up contributing to a system that actually displaces and decimates the Haitian rice economy, which is a chapter of the film that's covered. Um, then the the relative price for a for a poor person in Haiti uh, doesn't go down but up. On paper, it goes down, but because unemployment goes up, their purchasing power goes down, and the relative price is higher. This is very interesting and important to look at. Uh, for those of for those of you on your computers, you can search a video, um, a, pres- a testimony by President Clinton. If you search, we made a devil's bargain, President Clinton. You'll see a testimony where he admits that the, our policies, our, our agricultural subsidy policies, policies combined with our trade policies with Haiti, decimated the Haitian rice 
industry. This is tied up with crony capitalism as well as aid, as well as the the, the very role of the government, the, 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 the way we conceive of the government and its involvement in industries such as agriculture. Then the third thing that we have to pay attention to is uh, the aid community itself. So USAID um, tried to push procurement reform, meaning that as of now, USAID, when they try to support places like Haiti, they have to uh, buy American and ship American. Uh, that's basically by law. And I believe it was 2012, they tried to push procurement reform to get permission to buy more locally. To, if we're going to provide relief in Haiti, let's buy more of it locally so we can support the Haitian economy in the process. And it was immediately shut down by what people call the Iron Triangle of Special Interests. The big ag and, and, and manufacturing, big shipping, and big NGOs. Because each has a huge vested interest in the, in the current system, even though white paper after white paper and story after story have come out demonstrating that it actually is harmful to Haitians in the long run. And so the, the way we have to get serious about this depends on where in that triangle we, we fit, right? So CARE, an, a famous NGO, they uh, famously turned down over $50 million in monetization revenue that they could have accepted in in-kind donations from the government because they decided that this is not a practice they want to be a part of. There's a lot of NGOs still taking that money and still contributing to that system. Uh, and, and, and as voters, I think we need to get serious about, okay, if we, if, if we want to create competitive market economies, real market economies, not just not just um, managerial state capitalism that favors big industry, but truly competitive market economies, we have to get serious about things like agricultural subsidies. You know, you can be for the American farmer and against agricultural subsidies. Those two are not mutually exclusive. So I'm thinking of Tom's Shoes, which is a company that makes shoes, sells them, and then makes this pledge that if you buy a pair of their shoes, they're going to ship a pair to some uh, poor person somewhere in the world. Is that a part of the problem? I think it is because now is Tom's Shoes single-handedly decimating uh, local markets? No. But it's but the good vibes that people, good feels that people get in the United States for saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm helping. Right. Well, let's back up a second. So there's case after case after case in the film and, and elsewhere, and a lot of interviews didn't that we shot didn't even make it into the film. There's case after case after case where when we come over with free stuff, um, whether they be actually physical products or sometimes even services, we can end up displacing the local producers and service providers who are trying to make a living doing that and contributing to their own building of the tax base and building of a culture where, where those needs are being met. When we displace those, um, it, there's a short-term effect sometimes of uh, jobless uh, people being put out of a job. There's a long, longer-term effect of that culture uh, shifting, where the, the culture of risk-taking, culture of new ventures, cultures of entitlement uh, and dependency, you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly complicated, and we need to be very careful. Local entrepreneurs, uh, you talk about a culture of risk-taking, something that we, li we like to say in the United States helped build the United States. Is there a, a sense from low-income people around the world that taking these risks might ultimately be meaningless if 
uh, a bunch of the largesse, quote unquote, from the United States and other developed countries can just drop in and, and destroy their livelihood? It does. It does affect them. So, I mean, as an example, we, you know, one of the most basic examples that Peter Greer of Hope International get, gives in the film is, a, is an example in Rwanda he came across where uh, post-genocide Rwanda, a, a, a young man named Jean was trying to build an egg business and he had gotten a micro loan and was building this business and he had bought the hens and made the investment. And then in one summer, a church from Atlanta, Georgia, um, trying to respond to the needs in, in Rwanda following, the, following this crisis, uh, decided that they were going to ship eggs and distribute eggs in this community to meet uh, malnutrition problems. Uh, Jono got put out of business in a, in a single summer. The church kind of did this for a year and then took a bunch of pictures and went home. And not only had, uh, not only did, did they end up destroying this, yes, people got to eat eggs for a year, but not only did they destroy the local provider who, um, who was no longer able to just like put shop, put up shop again right away, but they really depressed the entrepreneurial spirit because uh, when people like Jean have this constant risk of just losing everything. Uh, it, it, it does not create a strong incentive for him to, to put it all on the line to, to grow something like that. And remember, these a lot of these people are already struggling with all kinds of other barriers, things like uh, in, they're, they're locked out of the formal economy. They're often paying bribes to local officials just for the right to be on a street corner to do, to do their business. They, you know, they don't have recourse to, ju- to the justice system if somebody steals from them. So they're already in a, in a very difficult environment, and then we can make it even more difficult on them. And they're trying to integrate their work, their output, and their uh, community spirit all at the same time. And it, it seems to be something uh, that these gifts, which, I mean, it, it's easy to forgive people for not appreciating what they're actually doing to disintegrate uh, these communities. Right, and in our modern, you know, in, in in our modern day, with all these documentaries available and with so much travel available, it's it's really not about pointing the finger and 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 criticizing people for wanting to get involved. But we also can't just rest on our laurels and 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 be satisfied that you know with with these old models of charity that we know now are are, are really hurting people, because then it's not authentic charity. Authentic charity is really willing the good of another person, not just seeking that self-gratification that comes from from that Tom's Shoes purchase. Oh, I know, I know, I, I did something good. And circling back to Tom's Shoes, it's again, it's not that Tom's Shoes or any of these organizations or that church, for instance, are single-handedly decimating economies. They do have a macro effect when, they all, when they're all added together. But I think more importantly is the cultural weight that Tom's Shoes' success puts behind this idea that shipping stuff to developing countries, shipping like our leftover stuff or even new stuff in the Tom Shoes case is is going to help the problem. In many ways we actually see that 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 model, that way of going about things, that conception, that that mental conception of charity being synonymous with that. Uh, that's really the problem, and that's where we have to be really careful and start speaking out against these type of one-for-one models that essentially envision, if you take them to their largest end, they envision a world where everything, all the needs of people in developing countries are met by benevolent 
uh, consumers and 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 providers in the West, and that's that's not uh, that's not a vision for human flourishing. I, I, we want to get behind, and I th- no one wants to live that way. No one wants to live that way, and and poignantly in the film, a Haitian gentleman responding to a Tom Shoes commercial. The Tom Shoes commercials. Uh, the founder, Blake Mikowski, says this. He says, I realized that if I could build a successful company giving away shoes, and these kids will have shoes for the rest of their life. And a Haitian gentleman watches that on an iPad, and he, and he looks at us, and he just goes, no one in Haiti wants to be a beggar for life. These kids don't want to be receiving free shoes from Tom Shoes for the rest of their lives. Like, that's not the vision that Haitians want for themselves, and it's not the one that we should be celebrating here in the West. So if we can forgive, you know, these Western ideas about how we benefit, you know, the, the least among us, people who uh, want to have a better life, and we have, we have this fabulous wealth, if we can f- forgive that, then what is the answer for, I mean, this is obviously a huge question, but what, what is the beginning of of this answer to help these people secure their own ongoing sustainable prosperity. Yeah, we always I think one of the we, we have to think in terms of we call it algorithmic thinking as opposed and, and we need to shy away from singularities, right? Like the singularity of what is the answer. And a lot of people get frustrated with us actually. They come to our website or they watch the film and then they want that donate here button. You know, that, that, that quick and easy thing. Okay, what should we all be doing? The reality is that each of us has, has different talents, and we are unique, and we have unique perspectives. We have unique opportunities before us. And so the, the, the role is much, much more decentralized. It's not about what is this one plan we should all get behind, but it is about um, how, can I, how can I look at the world around me and apply my talents toward the service of, the other, of others. And that's not just um, quarantined in the nonprofit space or in the government space. That's what, that's what businesses are supposed to do as well. Um, you, know, you, you look at needs, you look at problems, you try to solve them, and then the profit that you gain from that should be seen as an ac- accountability system or a feedback system to, 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 to get feedback from the people that you're trying to solve that problem for on whether or not you're doing a good job, and if and if and and, and if that if that uh, profit is coming in, and you're being authentic as a person, uh, as as a person running that company and working for that company, you don't want to be lying to people, et cetera, or you know, f- selling somebody on something fake. But um, I think that when we talk about the solution, we always come back to that first starting point, which is the person, and understanding ourselves as persons and also understanding the people we come into relationship with, whether it be in, you know, a cultural relationship, economic relationship, et cetera. And when we, when we try to see the person on the other end of every transaction, you know, there's a person on the other end of this watch I'm wearing. There's a person on the other, the, somebody's hands touched this and helped make it, you know. There's a great, uh, there's a great video uh, by CEI called iPencil. And they do a great job of demonstrating the symphony of human interaction that goes into um, making something as seemingly simple as, as a yellow uh, number two pencil. And I think when we, 
what what we tend to do in the nonprofit world is we tend, and even increasingly now in this new term we have social entrepreneurship, is we create create these categories, these compartments. Over here is where people are doing good, and over here is just everybody else. And the reality is that um, all of those things. Uh, encompass what we call the market economy. The market economy isn't just businesses. It's all free exchange, right? So it includes nonprofits. It includes universities. It includes all places where people are coming together and freely exchanging with one another. I pay a university. I take out a loan from a bank to, to pay a university for the right to sit in a classroom. The professor is there. He has a contract with that university for his services to be there to teach, and he gets compensated for that, he puts the money in the bank. If the school or the professor break that contract, either party has recourse for justice to a legal system that will facilitate uh, that disagreement, that will, that will broker that disagreement. So this is the market economy at work, right? It's not just McDonald's. And I think sometimes we create these categories where we, where we, where we start to lose sight of that, uh, those human interactions. Now, as persons, Instead of just agonizing over what uh, nonprofits I want to support to contribute to international development specifically, I think we need to think about all the organizations and services and products that we're connecting to and try to think, okay, I have this ethos over here that drives me to donate to a charity or, or to have my company do CSR stuff or to quote unquote give back. But what if I extended that ethos throughout all my activities throughout the year, or all my activities as a company, or through vertically integrate that through my supply chain? You know, that's where that's where when we take that ethos and I start to see my suppliers, for instance, if I'm a business, not just as numbers on a balance sheet, but actually as actual persons and being interested in them and being interested in um, how they can help me solve this problem for another person I care about called my consumer, you know, the, the customer. And um, and when we when we when we start to do that, I think then we start we stop. Uh, it helps us resist the temptation to cut corners. It helps us to re- resist the temptation to uh, to be fake because we don't like to be. We want to be authentic in our human relationships. It's it's kind of written on our hearts to do so, and yet the further we distance ourselves from that concept of the, that we're actually dealing with persons, the easier it is to start to objectify them and to turn them into that a number instead of an, instead of an individual. I know that's a little bit, you know, abstract. I think that the easy what it what it means for me personally is every time I buy something new now, I try to see if I can find a company who's willing to tell me about the values with which they made that product and the supply chain um, that is connected to it. And I find it's incredible with these supercomputers we have in our pockets. It's incredible how quickly and how easy it is for almost all of the things I buy to find companies that are, that are telling me that story, that are, that, are sh- that are using it as a competitive advantage. Not because we feel sorry for, pe- for people in these countries, but because we value them. Mark Weber is a co-producer of the film Poverty, Inc. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.